This edition of The Standard is brought to you by the AXA Startup Angel Competition. I'm Sharma Dean Reed, founder and CEO of The Stack World, and I'm here to help you turn your business dream into reality. There are six chances to win the competition, including two top prizes of £25,000, mentoring from myself and leading UK founders, plus business insurance for a year, thanks to AXA. Go to standard.co.uk forward slash AXA Startup Angel for details on how to enter and complete your entry by the 2nd of June, 2024. Good luck. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. ES Audio. Hello, I'm Nick Curtis, the Evening Standard's Chief Theatre Critic. Welcome back to our theatre podcast. This week, I'm joined by Nancy Durrant, the Evening Standard's Culture Editor. Hello, Nancy. Hello. Coming up, we'll be talking about the Evening Standard's Theatre Awards back this year after a two-year hiatus due to you-know-what. But first of all, we're going to be talking about Emma Corrin in Orlando at the Garrick Theatre. This is an adaptation of Virginia Woolf's slim novella about a character that is born male in Elizabethan times, lives for approximately 300 years and uh, changes gender midway through that point. It's been directed by Michael Grandage, who used to run the Donmar Warehouse and more recently directed Frozen in the West End and been adapted by Neil Bartlett, who was quite a sort of big figure in the uh, in the 90s. But the big figure here, of course, is Emma Corrin, who uses they, them pronouns. Uh, they have recently played Lady Chatterley on screen. Previously, they played Lady Diana. Obviously, a lot of interest is focused on the fact that somebody who uses they, them pronouns is playing a character that is gender fluid or changes sex. Yeah, absolutely. And I think they do a really great job within this production. Is, I mean, Sounds I like that. faint praise to me, <laughs> Nancy. I was really, really surprised to find that I did not like this show at all. And it's so interesting because there was such a split of for me of responses among the people that I know who saw it. Um, some people who I really thought would be you know, of the same mind as me. Absolutely loved it. They found it really joyful. It was kind of a lovely romp. And some people were just like, oh my God, I couldn't wait for it to end. Um, so I'm afraid I was probably not quite that bad, but I was I was definitely quite far on that spectrum towards that end. I, I understand uh, a lot of your reservations about it. I think we should probably explain uh, to people as well that it's only about 80 minutes long. Corin is very much the, the centrepiece, but uh, around them flutter eight or nine, depending on how many of them are playing other characters, versions of Virginia Woolf, uh, mm-hmm. played by a variety of performers of different ages, genders and ethnicities. It's a bit sort of tricksy and stagey and in-jokey, isn't it? There's a, and, and a bit sort of literary pat yourself on the back-ish. Yeah, it just, it's funny, isn't it? I think Orlando is like, it, obviously, it's probably Virginia Woolf's most whimsical work. Um, she's not known for a whimsy. She is known for her trickiness, definitely, in terms of her writing. But um, you lose all of that kind of bravura 
beautiful writing because it's not it's not there in here. It's all dialogue, and it it doesn't. I I don't know. I just. I just sort of couldn't see the point. It's slightly as well, as you said, I think before we, when we were discussing this before we came on air, it's a little bit panto. Yeah. There is this character called Mrs. Grimsditch, um, yeah. played by Deborah Finley, who's a tremendous performer. She is a sort of pantomime dame here and indeed does quite often come on making jokes saying, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and everybody. Yeah, to, which is which, which is, is great. And I think, you know, it, and, and everybody laughed the first time and everybody laughed the second time. And after the second time, you really don't need to repeat it again. Perhaps Perhaps I'm being unfair. This is a re- they've got 300 years to get through, and two different genders, and lots of different issues are kind of very briefly raised in sort of very short bubbles, and there's a few great lines where they talk about being incidental working class characters, or the plight of women, or attitudes to gender, but they're sort of isolated in this kind of ribald chaos that doesn't really say anything. There are no discernible characters, even Orlando. I, I felt like. You know, 300, 350-odd years on, Orlando doesn't seem to have learned anything. That's true. That's very true. When I wrote about it immediately after seeing it, I did start off by just saying, can we take a pause to just see that a commercial proposition in the West End is an 80-minute adaptation of Virginia Woolf, which discusses gender issues, featuring a performer who uses they, them pronouns. Yeah, which is... I think that's extraordinary. Absolutely brilliant. I am delighted that this thing exists. And I think we should talk a bit more about Emma Corrin here because Mm, their performance is, is, I think, the the real standout of it. Absolutely. I mean, they're, they're, they're on stage pretty much the whole time, I think, and they absolutely carry the entire production. They are, I think luminous is not a stupid word to use in this context, actually. It's a really... Luminous or lambent, even. Ooh. (laughs) Yeah, I think they do a great, I think they do a great job, but I don't think they've got a lot to work with. Um, And I did think also, I was really confused and a bit put out by the Virginias. You know, Virginia Woolf was a fascinating, spiky, snobbish brilliant woman and she is reduced in this to this sort of you know I'd hesitate even to call them a Greek chorus of sort of ineffectual floaty presences and they just sort of repeat words and they seem very passive and I know that she did say when she was writing Orlando that it just sort of came out of her but I feel like that's been too focused on. And then they throw in her suicide. The really? main criticism I think one can level against this show is that it's glib, basically. Yeah, that's All a good it. word. Uh, the concept of the, of the pack of wolves, the, the brevity of it, yeah. the, the sort of tongue-in-cheek playfulness of the whole thing. Even Corinne's performance has yeah. a certain sort of larky yeah. uh, quality to it. Yeah, they've got a sort of cultish air that, and, and I think the sort of entirely appropriate sort of uh, arrogance of a young Elizabethan aristo kind of sticks with them throughout, um, yes. even after the change into womanhood. And um, I think that's in the script more than anything else. Uh, I suppose the plus point is that you do get out in time for dinner, don't you? Yeah, uh, you absolutely do. Yeah, not the case with a lot of stuff that's around at the moment. No, that's true. That's true. Once you've kind of gone in on that sort of larky tone, 
then I don't really know how you get out of it. But, you know, Neil Bartlett and Michael Grandage sort of, you know, they're pretty experienced. Maybe they ought to have been able to work that out. Yes. I, yeah. I wanted more from it, even though I didn't know what I wanted when I went in. This, for me, was a three-star show, and I think I'd stand, back, stand by that. I think it is fascinating that mm. something like this is able to come on in the West End. After the pandemic, we were all worried that everything was going to be teeth and smiles and mindless entertainment. And yeah, even exactly. if we found this a bit glib, I think it's really still a fascinating yeah. indicator of where the culture is going. And I think Emma Corrin is a star. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I think they are. I wasn't that smitten with Lady Chatterley on Netflix, but I think they are absolutely, again, a standout performer in that. Yeah. Definitely. So it's on until the 25th of February, um, and some tickets are available for only £10. So that's a bit of a bargain. Go for Emma Corrin, run away from the pack of wolves. Right, let's go to the ads. Coming up in the second half, we're going to be talking about the 66th Evening Standard Theatre Awards, which feature Jodie Comer and James McAvoy. Mm -hmm. We'll be back after this. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and right up to the end of the season when the winners of the Champions Cup will be crowned at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and the fight for the Premiership title will be decided at Twickenham. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe and download now wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Welcome back to the Evening Standard Theatre podcast. This week we had the 66th Evening Standard Theatre Awards. Woohoo! Yay. And uh, I wasn't there because I had to go to a wedding, which was delightful. But Nick, you were there, so why don't you tell me about them? It was great. Uh, I don't think one can underestimate how nice it was for the theatre world to get back into a room together after two years apart. It's always quite a big uh, event in the theatre calendar. I remember Stephen Daldry years ago saying to me that he felt it was the start of the party season because they normally happen in November. This year they were they were moved to December and they were reflecting a longer period of time because we basically dated the eligibility period from the start of from the end of lockdown yeah, yeah. Um, so we had 18 months worth of theatre to cover I think even though it is still an extremely difficult time out there for the industry these awards really showed how incredibly fertile and strong it still is though and how varied Jodie Comer of course won the Natasha Richardson Award for Best Actress for her performance in Prima Facie at the Harold Pinter Theatre in the West End, which was just extraordinary. For those who hadn't seen it, uh, we should probably also mention Prima Facie. Uh, Jodie Comer plays a lawyer who specialises in sexual assault cases, who is then herself sexually assaulted. I think people think solo shows are easy because it's just you talking, but it's not. You have to build in reactions Yeah, you've yourself. got, no, you've got you, no one to, to respond to. You've got no foil, to. no it's mirror. It's just you and the audience. Yes. And you just have to, you have to do, you do everything yourself. I mean, it's just, uh, that was 
that was one of the most extraordinary performances I think I've ever seen. She's amazing, and she's a unicorn. I think she's yeah. just just a sort of you know an absolute one off. She's she's extraordinary. Yeah. We didn't have James McAvoy at the ceremony because he was in Italy filming. He was playing Pontius Pilate, which let's face it is a role that you would fly to Italy yeah, for. I think. Um, but he won for Cyrano de Bergerac, won Best Actor oh. for Cyrano de Bergerac, which again is one of the few shows I've given the five stars to. That was really something, wasn't it? It's like it's, I I don't I I have to admit I don't like. Cyrano de Bergerac as mm. a play as a story I think it's absolutely it's like literally the most unromantic thing I've ever heard that just gaslight this woman yes. for like a year it's and how then, to lie, and then <laughs> how to just, lie to women yes. it's just it's unbelievable and then they don't even tell her for like for years later after every, after even after her husband has died it's just you know I, I, I really really dislike it but that production was incredible. Yes. It was absolutely extraordinary. For those who hadn't seen it, Cyrano uh, is an updating of the Edmund Rostand 17th century verse play about a man with an enormous nose who's in love with his cousin and woos her on behalf of another. As I say, this is an updating, so rather than romantic verse, we had rap battles. Mm. it was all done in modern dress. Cyrano didn't have a big nose, so it became about his self-loathing and about his lack of yeah, it's fascinating that when you you took, spoke to James McAvoy about it, didn't you? I was really struck by him saying, you know, oh, I said to Jamie, and Jamie uh, Lloyd is the director, a brilliant director, and just you know, really doing some incredible stuff. He said, oh, isn't it just about with bloke with a big nose? And he was like, well, it is a bit at the beginning, but. Actually, after that, it's just about a man who hates himself. Yeah, and it's true. Like it's actually just he can't he can't do right by this woman who he loves because he simply doesn't think he's worthy. Yes, and the whole play is about image and artifice and the roles we play or we're forced to play. Uh, one of the things that I think going back to your point about it being a play about gaslighting women, this brings out quite strongly that she is an educated, smart woman forced into this very passive role within it. So that was an extraordinary production. It started in 2019, had its planned trip to New York cancelled by the pandemic Mm. and was then brought back, I think in a very conscious way, by uh, McAvoy and Jamie Lloyd going... We've got this film star vehicle. We've yeah. got this, you know, guy who's been in the X Men movies, yeah, as well exactly. as being a great stage actor. Let's get people back. Let's to the get theater. people back to the theatre, and I think it worked. And, yeah. and to get people back to the theatre in a radical reworking of a 17th century French first play. Again, I pretty, mean, yeah, just cool. mind blown, completely, <laughs> yeah. completely extraordinary. Yes. But one thing I thought that, that was interesting about this is that there, these people are obviously extremely famous, popular film and TV stars. But I think in an industry that is still largely dominated by the privately educated yeah. and certainly in terms of directors and writers by those who've been to Oxford or Cambridge, mm. uh, both Coma and McAvoy come from relatively modest working class backgrounds in Liverpool and Glasgow. Yeah. Um, and so they are at the sort of spearhead this year of awards which I thought I think were more diverse in every sense yeah, absolutely. Um, than they've ever been before. Again, to speak to that, uh, we, we had some amazing people coming up. You know, Best Director, for example, yeah. which was Lynette Linton. She won the Milton Shulman Award for Best Director for the brilliant uh, Blues from Alabama Sky. But she also just happens to be the Artistic Director of the Bush Theatre, yeah. which is absolutely knocking it out of the park at the moment. Indeed. Um, She's just had the most amazing year, and it's it's amazing to think that she took over the bush in 2019. I know, aged so, about 28. Yes, or she's 32 now. So, just... and and she's only had 
two years of, of actual time access to that stage yeah. in that four-year period. And maybe we ought to talk a, a little bit about the Young Vic, which also got, I think, three awards this time around? It did. It won Best Play for yeah. James Graham's Best of Enemies, which has already transferred to the West End. So good. It won Best Musical for the, quote, sexy, unquote, Oklahoma. I think they all hate that, which they brought in from New York, yep. and which is going to transfer to the West End uh, later in, in February uh, the next year. Um, Patrick Vale, we should also just mentioned best musical performance he was he won that in the teeth of Sutton Foster in Anything Goes you know proper Broadway trooper this is a radical stripping back of or stripping away of all the sort of barnacles of folksiness that have accreted to uh, Rogers and Hammerstein's school mm. over the years uh, I think Oklahoma is, is thought to be this sort of folksy cowboy musical um, which indeed it is but um, as Patrick Vale said to me when I chatted to him about his award um, that's not there on the page that's just something that has evolved in the popular imagination so I was just delighted with all the awards this year. Yeah. Um, I think they're they're really representative of an exciting, changing theatrical scene. It it's feels not, like London. It does feel like well. London, yeah. You're absolutely right. London has a seedbed and a, for talent and a forcing ground for talent, but also a magnet. You know, there's yeah. people, uh, there were a lot of Londoners on that list, but there's people from all over the UK and they come here for a reason. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for listening. This has been the Evening Standards Theatre Podcast. And we are super excited to tell you that next year, early next year, the Evening Standard Theatre Podcast is going to become its own thing. As well as the reviews, we're also going to have some really exciting guests for you. So join us then. Fantastic stuff. We'll see you in the new year. Hope you all have a fantastic break, however you celebrate. Tune in then. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and right up to the end of the season when the winners of the Champions Cup will be crowned at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and the fight for the Premiership title will be decided at Twickenham. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe and download now wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.